Good morning. That's lovely to see you all. Uh, I love this community and I love being together. I love uh, gathering. Uh, it's a difficult time to gather. Hello everyone online. Um, thank you for tuning in even if you're not able to be with us. It's a difficult time to gather and I just, I'm grateful. I'm just really grateful to see people in person. Uh, so like Nathan said, my name is Ben if you don't know me and uh, we are starting this Abide series which is um, something that uh, we didn't come up with, Pastor Simon didn't come up with this. This is something that is bigger than just Grace City Portland. This is something that our family of churches around the globe are doing together. We're walking through this, uh, what is it, four or five weeks, five weeks of this Abide, six weeks, I think, of this Abide series uh, with churches all around the globe um, in, in this every nation family that we are part of. Uh, and, uh, and we get to start it today. And tomorrow we get to uh, really kick things off with this week of prayer and fasting. Uh, it's actually, I think, called the week of prayer, fasting, and consecration, um, which is just our week to set aside and say, uh, the, the things in my life that scream for my attention and that say, I'm important, this is reality, focus on these things, this is the most important, the, the, the center of, of reality, you know, the, whatever it feels like, my finances or all my schedules or all my whatever. Uh, it's a moment to put those to the side and say, I'm gonna begin my year centering on the, 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 the real reality, the truth is, which is that um, God is here, God is good, and that as I lean into that reality, I'm transformed. So, uh, so we pray and we fast, which is something that might be weird to you. It is a, uh, it's a sacramental act, which basically sacramental just means it's where um, the spiritual and the physical meet. And our leader, our teacher Jesus, taught us that when we fast, we experience God not just in uh, a, a vague emotional inter or intellectual way, but we experience God in, in, our, in our physical reality. So we do that, and then we, uh, we come and we pray together, and then we end the whole week in, in giving God glory. And I just have the sense like, what if like five years from now, what if two years from now, we kind of, we're here at the building and we're talking to each other and we're going, you know, like God has radically transformed and healed my life. And God is radically transforming and healing our community. And the spirit of God has actually like been poured out on Grace City and on this neighborhood and the kingdom of God is coming. We're seeing it happen. What if two years from now we had that conversation, we said, and when did that all start? And we thought back, you know, at the, ba at the beginning of 2022, we took this week just to listen and to seek God and to lean in and to recenter our lives on him. And something started that week. And I just have this sense that uh, if, if we choose it, God, God could begin something in us, not only individually, but as a church family this week. So um, I'm a beginner at this week of prayer and fasting and concentration. Consecration. I've never done it before. 
I, I'm new to this, and I'm really excited to give it a try and to jump in with all of you. Um, and uh, I hope that you will grab one of those booklets on the back table and join us for that. So along with that week that we're starting out with, we have this series about uh, this, around this word abide, which appears in all kinds of ways and all kinds of places in the Bible. And it's a pause in our Gospel of John series. And the awesome thing is we were doing this Gospel of John series and then every nation was like, and here's the abide series that we're doing as a church family across the globe. And uh, the abide series actually is all in the book of John. So we're gonna pause our John series to do the Abide series, which is actually in the book of John. Uh, So today we're gonna look at John chapter one. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter one. Um, John chapter one is an interesting uh, kind of metaphysical uh, picture of some, some really profound and difficult realities to grasp and they are communicated to us by John, the, the, uh, who's, who's described as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the dear, dear friend of Jesus. Uh, and, and it is described to us by John who is, uh, if you know anything about the Bible or about the other books that John wrote, John is a deep thinker, a profound theologian, and he's a poet. He uses metaphorical language. And um, what, what we're about to read is profoundly theological poetry as opposed to systematic theology. So just maybe put that hat on of like, this, this is, I'm entering the world of an artist who, who understands God, of a creative thinker who understands God and is going to use his creative language to try to express to me the realities of God. So let's read this. I'm gonna read the first 18 verses. Uh, I'm gonna skip a few verses here and there, but we'll start at verse one. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping down to verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Skipping down to verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. What an interesting passage. There's some things in there that, that sort of might catch your attention or spark a question. There are things in there that might uh, cause, cause uh, interest on a, on a soul level of, oh, something in me wants to know what that's about. There are things in there that might just be totally obscure and you're like, that's weird. This is the, that's the weird spiritual stuff. I don't know how to deal with any of this. 
But John is uh, trying to express the inexpressible. John has had a lifelong experience growing in understanding, and not just understanding, but experience of God, and now he's trying to boil it all down and explain what actually is going on. What happened when Jesus showed up? What happened when I, John, found Jesus, started following him, and had him enlighten the eyes of my heart, like Paul says later in the New Testament, enlighten the eyes of my heart to all the things of God? What was that, what actually happened, and how can I express to you and explain what this was actually all about? So he begins by talking about this thing called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, the Word, word this is going to be confusing. The word word, it appears all over the New Testament, of course. It's the Greek word logos, right? It's just a normal word for, for word. It's, it's the, uh, but this is the only place where it appears capitalized as a proper noun. This is the only place where this word logos is used as like a proper name of a person or a being or a thing. And John is actually doing two things. He's invoking a couple different streams for his listeners, Remember, the Bible was written for us, but not originally to us. He was writing to a different audience originally, right? And so uh, the, the, the word word would have triggered a couple things for his original audience. One would have been the stream of Greek philosophy. Uh, the word was not uh, unknown to the, word, the world of philosophy. Uh, the, the word was, was uh, thought to be the animating divine energy of the universe. And so, so this idea was that there, there was this, this word, this, this, uh, this uh, energy, this divine intelligence, this, this uh, thing that not only formed the universe, but was sustaining the universe. And it was very much opposed to, the word was opposed to the material. So it was like, the word was the spiritual and this sort of like animating spiritual presence, but it was really not interested in or really kind of uh, not super pleased with anything material, any, any sort of matter or, or flesh and blood or anything like that. The other stream that John is kind of invoking, because he's a brilliant writer and he can do two things at once, he's invoking this idea of the capital word, the, the word, the logos of God. All through the Hebrew scriptures, all through the Old Testament, um, the word of God is talked about as a living, active, breathing thing. Sometimes the word of God is actually personified As in like the word went out and did this. Like in Isaiah 55, it says that my word goes forth upon the earth and accomplishes what I desire. As if the word is this sentient being. And so the word of God to a Jew, an ancient Jew like John and a lot of his readers would have have not only invoked this sort of theoretical philosophical thing, but it also would have invoked the actual like the God Yahweh that we follow and serve. His word is powerful. His, his word is among his people, and, and, and there's a, uh, a sense of reverence towards the word, capital W, of God. So he's invoking these two things, and um, he's saying that, that whether you're Greek, whether you're, or, which is as much to say, uh, whether you're secular, or whether you're Jewish, which is as much to say as whether you're religious, whether you're secular or religious, I want you to know that the ultimate reality that we all know exists, the ultimate being, the ultimate presence, the ultimate intelligence that kind of we all at the back of our mind know 
exists. This being was with God in the beginning. This being was God in the beginning. And I actually have some things to say about this word. And so he describes this word to us sort of in three different categories. Uh, He starts by talking about how the word is a creative word. The word creates. The word creates. Verse two says, he was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. Without him was nothing made that has been made. In him was life, that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice all this parallel language to another in the beginning story that we read about in the Bible. Where else do we hear in the beginning? In Genesis, right? If you've been around the Bible or around Sunday school at all, you know, in the beginning, right? In the beginning, there's this creative word of God that goes out. If you look at the Genesis narrative, it's then God said, then God said, then God said, then God said. The word of God creates. It creates something out of nothing. And so the word sort of becomes this, uh, this callback to, and then God said, and it was so. And then God said, and it was so in the Genesis narrative. But then he starts talking about life, which God breathes into creation in the Genesis account, and he starts talking about light, which God calls forth, right? What is the first thing? In the beginning, God said, let there be what? Light, right? God said, let there be light. And so what he's saying is, there's some sort of parallel between what happened in Jesus and what I saw and experienced and learned and had my eyes open to as I followed Jesus, and what happened at the beginning of all time when this word that was God created created the world world through the spoken word of his power. And, And so it makes us think like, okay, well, if John is writing a gospel, if he's writing about Jesus, if he's writing a story of the life of Jesus and what happened through Jesus, and he begins with creation, what does that say about what Jesus is doing? There are many ways to talk about what Jesus, like what his mission was and what he came to do. And one of the ways that the gospel writers themselves and the New Testament writers talk about it is by saying that Jesus came to, invo- uh, to begin a new creation. A new creation. This is why Jesus came saying the kingdom of heaven is not gonna come one day when God restores all things. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here in Jesus. The new creation has begun. This is why in Luke 4 when Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he's saying, okay, here's my mission to all of you. He quotes Isaiah 61 which says that this is the year of the Lord's favor because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, uh, freedom for captives, all the all these like promises of new life, of new creation, of setting right what has been made wrong in the world. It's this new creation language. The resurrection itself is written about as the first day of new creation. And Jesus is called the firstborn among the dead. It's new life, it's new creation bursting out through this person and life of Jesus. This is why Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom we must be reborn from above. Because it's not so much akin to deciding I sort of believe this, I'll check the theological box. It's more akin to a recreation of a whole person and ultimately a whole world. Jesus came to begin new creation. The word that made the world 
is now here to remake us and through us his good world. This is why the gospel or the New Testament writers, as they start to work out in real life, like what it means, like what does it mean that Jesus is here? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Oh, hello. This is cool. Check. Ooh, hello. So this is uh, all why the New Testament writers talk about what it means to follow Jesus as a kind of resurrection, something new that begins in the story of God and in their own personal history as they follow Jesus. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul describes it this way. He says, uh, for God who said, let light shine in the darkness, he's calling him back to the creation. God who said, let light shine in the darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is what happened at creation has happened in our very hearts, minds, and souls through the person of Jesus. The light has come on. New creation has begun. The dawn of the first day of new creation is here and it, has, it is existing in us. That's how they experienced what was happening to them as followers of Jesus. So to to them, as they work this out, it actually began to feel less like I'm trying to be a better person, less like I'm, I'm trying to believe more correctly, and it actually was experienced more as I am being recreated as a new being in Jesus. So this word creates, and this word creates simply by God's word of power being spoken. Fleming Rutledge is a, uh, a well-known American pastor and preacher and writer, and she says this. This is, this is a profound quote from Fleming Rutledge. She says, it is the vocation of every Christian to believe in the power of the word of God to create something ex nihilo, that is, out of nothing. We believe that the word of God has the power to create something out of nothing. Which means that as we engage the written word, as we engage the spoken word of God, as we engage especially the living word of God in Jesus, we experience a kind of creation where we go, wow, Things are being born in me. Things are being created in me, brought to life in me by a power that is not mine. By a power that can create something from nothing. So John tells us this is what the word does. And then he says there's a, the word is also for something. What is the word for? He says this in, uh, in verse nine. He says the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Whoa, really? That light was coming into the world? He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, were born not of the will, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. What he's saying is the word came into the world so that people might know him. And at first people did not recognize, but to those who did recognize He created this new relationship between himself 
and these people as he revealed himself to them. See, this word is a revealing word. It's about knowing the, the word. It's about knowing God through the person of Jesus. Language is how we reveal. Language is how we come to know each other. Um, uh, it's really tempting. Here's something we're really good at. We're really good at uh, assuming we know what someone else is thinking. Assuming we know what's going on inside of them. Turns out, according to a multitude of studies, we're actually not very good at it. Uh, In our best scenarios, for like really intuitive people with people they know really well, they might get up to 50% right. For most of us, most of the time, it's much lower. But we think it's everything we're assuming is right, don't we? I know what they're thinking. I know what's going on inside of them. I know, right? We think we know people. But in order to really know people, we actually have to let them disclose themselves to us. We have to listen to their word. We have to trust that what they're saying is true. We have to let them make themselves known. The same is true with God. How many people do we know walking around assuming that I think I figured God out? Even in the church, outside the church, I think I figured out God. I think I figured out life. I think I figured out spirituality. I think I figured it out. And then at some point, something happens that does not compute and they have to re-figure it out. Because in and of ourselves, in the world we live in, in our own uh, limited capacity to understand, we could never know God. Unless, unless God chooses to reveal himself to us. So the word is a way of revealing, of knowledge, of knowing a person. I experience this every Sunday night when I come to this building. I, uh, I'm, I get the great privilege of being one of the leaders of one of our 423 groups here at the church. If you don't know what 423 is, it's a community for uh, some for men, some for women, uh, around people who want to heal in various areas, areas of unwanted sexual behavior or addictive behavior of any kind. Um, and it actually is about so much more than that. But I experience this every Sunday night, I get to come and I get to sit around a table with a group of men in the basement of this church, and uh, I just, I get to listen to people's words of self-revelation, and I get to know them through their words, and I get to know them in their highest highs and their lowest lows, and as we journey together through the years, we get to unpack our deepest wounds, uh, we get to discover our deepest injuries, and find them healed as we reveal ourselves through words. This is how we begin to take off the mask, peel back the onion, and be known. It's by words. And the crazy thing that happens is that as I'm with this group of men and we sort of draw closer to each other, it's almost as if we're in a circle with God at the center. And as we draw closer to each other, We're slowly stepping in and closing the space between each other and in so doing, closing the space between us and God. Words are how we become known. The same is true for God. The word is a revealing word. The word is a word that helps us know 
not just about God, but know God. Notice that in verse 10, John doesn't say, yet the world did not know about him. It says the world, world did not know him. That's why he had to come, because we did not know what God was like. We did not know who God was. So God had to show up to say, hey, 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 forget everything you know about God. This is what he is like. And what do we see in the person of Jesus? We see someone who reveals God as a loving father. We see someone who reveals God as what we just, we saw, someone whose children we can become. It just said, he gave them the right to become children of God. We see God revealed in the person of Jesus as we look at the cross. We go, that's what God is like. Taking on all of human evil, darkness, and sin, and brokenness, and taking it all out. Canceling it all. Meeting us in our deepest, darkest, most broken place. And even conquering death. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. The book of Colossians says that he is the exact representation of the invisible God. So John is saying something pretty profound. He's saying, if you want to know Jesus, look at this living word that became flesh. You know, I said a moment ago, one of the ways to talk about what Jesus did was he started new creation. Another way to talk about what Jesus did is he made a way for us to know God. You know, I was raised in a, in a, with a church understanding and I, and I bless it because I needed to start here. I bless, I bless the understanding of faith that I was raised in. It was, it was exactly what I needed at the time. But, but that understanding was I, I need to believe certain things, figure out how to be a better person, and then wait it out till I go to heaven, which is somewhere else. It's not on earth, it's somewhere else for sure. What I've come to understand as I walk with Jesus, as I read the written word, hear the spoken word, commune with the living word, is that um, actually Jesus is twice as interested in me believing in him, because that's a start, but just coming to know him, just getting to know him, just walking with him intimately, my favorite verse in the, in the Bible, you guys want to know my favorite verse? My favorite verse in the Bible is John 17, 3. And it's where Jesus says this, this is eternal life. And I kind of lean in, I'm like, ooh, he's going he's gonna to explain eternal life. And for most of us, when we hear eternal life, and what I, what I thought for many years growing up in the culture I did was, oh, eternal life is the heaven thing. That's what happens in heaven. In heaven, we experience eternal life. It's, a, it's an unending life. That's what eternal life is. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's not what I expected him to say. Jesus says life, the real new creation, eternal resurrection kind of life is found as we come to know Jesus and know God through Jesus. That's why at the end of this passage, verse 18, it says that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he, that is Jesus, has made him known. Jesus came to be like, I want you to know God, because that's life. That's real life. C.S. Lewis makes this point wonderfully. He says that many people walk around wanting joy, happiness, healing, love, 
But he makes the point that these aren't just like prizes that God can hand out. These are elements of God's being. Peace, joy, love, generosity. These are elements of God's being. So in order to get these things, we actually have to get into the thing that has them. If we want to get wet, we have to get into the pool. We have to be in God, know God, begin to commune with God. That's why we're doing the week of fasting, prayer, and consecration. To get into God, to commune with God. This God, this living word that was revealed in Jesus, not only creates something new in us and in the world, it is here to reveal the very God that created and sustains the world so that we may know him. That's the invitation, that we can know God intimately, deeply. And finally, John makes the point that this word is not just the creative word, it's not just the knowing or revealing word, because the creative word and the revealing word could still be a far off word. This is the abiding word. This is the word that is right here. In verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and have seen, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I love this because at this point, uh, John's Greek audience is freaking out. They're like, the word became flesh. Flesh is bad, spiritual good, flesh bad. And God is saying, "Uh uh-uh. I meet you in the context of real flesh and blood life. I meet you in the earthy, everyday realities of life. The word became flesh. I love the way it's, it's uh, um, written in the message translation, Eugene Peterson's message translation. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out from start to finish, moved into the neighborhood. That's actually what the Greek means. The Greek means that that Jesus uh, pitched a tent among his people. It's the same idea as in the Old Testament when God moved in among his people at the tabernacle tent in the center of their town or in the center of their community. That's, that's God moved in among his people and he did it again and more fully in Jesus. He moved into the neighborhood. He came to abide. He came to abide. There it is. There's the title of our series. He came to abide with his people. What does it mean to abide? Uh, well, I abide somewhere. I abide at my home. It's where I go to rest. It's where I live the daily business of my life. It's where I prepare meals and eat them. It's where I invite guests in and host them and hang with them. Um, When I moved into my home, I rearranged the furniture. I uh, redid the floors. I like made it my space. God comes to abide with his people in much the same way. To say, hey, I'd like to reshape this space. Let's redo the floors. Let's rearrange the furniture. Let's give you a new structure for thinking about the world. Let's give you a new context into which you can live the daily elements of your life. You know what? I came to abide with you. Why don't you abide in me? We're going to learn more about that later in the series. 
But this is not the far off creative word. This is not the word of knowledge from above. This is the abiding word. God moves in and among his people. This, this means um, that for, for Jesus, the word that became flesh, uh, we can trust that for God, nothing human is foreign or icky or despicable. Whatever we're experiencing, whatever doubts, or sadnesses, griefs, whatever pains, whatever high joys, uh, whatever struggles, addictions, confusions, wounds, traumas, for Jesus, nothing human is foreign. He doesn't just get it in a theoretical sense, He has experienced what it's like to be these fragile, vulnerable beings called humans. In the book of Hebrews chapter four, it says that we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet was without sin. That's to say Jesus walked through the world in the same kind of weakness and vulnerability that you and I experience every day. And if you are experiencing doubt, confusion, pain, trauma, he knows all about it. He understands. I often think that's Jesus' first word to me when I come to him distressed. He just says, oh Ben, I understand. Our God who made us and can recreate us, our God who invites us to know him, also is with us, right here, with us, in our everyday humanity. He is the abiding word, which tells us that when we engage God's spoken word, his written word, in some way, his living word, Jesus, is miraculously present with us. So John uses all this really weird, can we be honest, weird language, to try to express something that he's experienced that almost feels inexpressible. Have you ever had an experience that's so profound or so exciting, maybe you traveled to a foreign country or something, and and you just go, how am I ever gonna explain this to people? How am I ever gonna explain this to people back home? I think that's what it's like for John. Because he walked with Jesus in the flesh and then spent decades and decades communing with Jesus in the spirit. And actually letting the word recreate him. And letting the living word that is Jesus do something new in him. And letting the living word actually reveal God to him so that he could get closer and more intimate. And letting the living word walk and abide with him through the everyday realities of life. He had spent this time leaning into God in that way to the point where he goes, how do do I tell you? How do I tell you? what this is like? How do I tell you what it's like when God moves in? How do I tell you what it's like when he comes to dwell among us? How do I tell you what it's like when God speaks a new word in my soul that brings about something new that I thought never could be in me? How do I tell you what it's like when God reveals himself to me in a new and fresh way? How do I tell you So he uses this poetic language to try to convey to us something that can really only be understood through experience. My guess is this, if you have experienced God in this way, you read these or you hear these words and you go, 
I don't necessarily understand point by point what he's saying, but it, it's true. It resonates. I, I get where he's coming from. Yes, John, I agree. My guess is if you've not experienced God in this way and, and you maybe, maybe choose to, maybe you choose to this week, you say, I'm, I'm going to lean into this week of prayer and fasting and consecration. My guess is by the end of that time, you might have a glimmer of, I think I might see where John was coming from. This living word among us that recreates, that reveals God, and that we experience in the everyday realities of our life. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Uh, I don't believe, we as a church don't believe that Jesus was just a dude with some really good ideas. We believe Jesus was and is the living word of God entering the human story, becoming one of us so that he can recreate us, reveal God to us and abide with us. I hope, I hope that you will be able to join me this week and just like setting aside some time to lean in to this living word and see what happens, see what happens. Um, uh, the worship team can come on up. The worship team, Jessica and Adam, you guys, they had some other people scheduled with them who had to cancel last minute. And are they, can we just say thank you to them? Yes. Just rocking it. Co- covering multiple instruments. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, y'all, we're going to sing one more song. And then we're going to do communion. If, if you're a uh, Jesus person, this might be familiar to you. If you're not really, there's no shame in not participating in communion. This is another sacramental thing. Remember at the beginning we talked about sacramental is just a way that uh, the, the spiritual and the material kind of come together. We experience God in a, in a very material way. Uh, and uh, this is another thing like fasting that Jesus taught us to do to experience God in the material. So uh, here in a moment when we sing, the stations will be open on this side and this side. Um, gluten-free is over here. And I would just invite you to, um, to take communion on your own time. We're not gonna like, do it, uh, have a moment together as a church. Take it on your own time. But let it be a moment when you actually uh, consider the living word of God that's here with us. And what... what um, that living word of God might, uh, what might happen if you enter in, if you begin to let this word speak create new creation into you, if you let this living word reveal God to you, and if you let this living word who is Jesus abide with you. Let it be a moment of maybe consecrating your week, consecrating your year before God, and choosing to lean in to this living word that is here among us. Uh, After we sing this song, I'll come up and and close us out with a prayer. Uh, The tables are open. Thank you.